This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, just one uh, clarification I get started here. I'm not Father Brett. Uh, the way you can tell is I wear glasses. Okay, so, okay. That's pretty much, okay. No. Uh, our, our, our sermon time, we're going to call it a living memory, with the emphasis on the word like living water, a living memory. And, you know, even the closest friendships sometimes don't survive the test of time. Have you noticed that? That sometimes years later, especially as you go on in life, some people you were very close to in grade school or high school and college, that you assumed you'd go do life together. And somehow there's a parting of the ways. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding, a fight, it's tragic. But a lot more often, we just sort of lose touch as our lives move on. We just sort of lose touch. So we can ask ourselves, how is it that some friendships do last for a lifetime, last for many, many years, often unexpectedly? And I think what we find is in those cases, there's always one partner to the friendship who sort of keeps it going. They take responsibility. They're the ones who call. They're the ones who email. They're the ones who stop by. We're so grateful to them. But they keep it alive. They keep it alive. Now, we have a similar challenge in our spiritual life. Often we think falling from the Lord is a very dramatic matter, as it can be. But the entire book of Hebrews talks about the problem of drifting away. You just sort of notice every... Every, every day you're getting sort of farther away from shore until finally you forgot what the shore looks like. You're just way, you're out to sea. So what happens here, so the spiritual life drifting away. At the Last Supper, our Lord Jesus said, you're my friends. And I have good news for you. Jesus is the friend who keeps in touch. He's the one who maintains the connection. He is the best friend. I mean, he is the one who will maintain that connection through thick and thin. Now, how does he do that? Well, one way is that we treasure the Word of God written. Because we don't just read about Jesus in the Holy Scriptures. Like when Deacon Will was out here, you know, is we actually hear the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to us in Scripture. So we're talking about the Lord Jesus speaks to us now. But there is another way that's very important that Holy Thursday focuses on. There's one other place we desperately, we, we keep in that contact that keeps that relationship alive, and that's in Christ's body. Now, it's important we understand the body means, of course, we talk about, we'll talk about the sacrament of the altar, but we're also talking about the body of Christ gathered all around us. That's the body. So through his scripture, through his sacrament, but also through the body of believers, these are the things that keep this relationship going. So our question tonight is exactly how do we stay connected to Jesus through the Lord's Supper and through the church? Well, first of all, our connection with the body of Christ begins when we're baptized. The Scripture tells us, it says, for the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So we all started out there. We started as a member of that body. And the head of that body, Paul tells us, is Christ himself. So how do we maintain that connection once we're in the body? 
Well, the word that John loves in his gospel, one of the key words in John's gospel is abide. The Father abides in the Son, the Son abides in the Father. And our salvation is by abiding in Jesus, we can also abide in the Father and the Son, abiding. So we might say, well, that's a critical notion. So how do we abide? And Jesus himself answered the question for us on this very evening. He said, my flesh is, uh, is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That's in John 6, actually, for the synagogue at Capernaum. But the point is here, he loves to say, abide, abide. So it's no accident, John says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Now, what was the response when Jesus told us this is the way? People said, that's impossible, that's crazy. People began to go away. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus tonight answers that question at the Last Supper. You know, he doesn't tell them at that time when people are walking away and he finally says, Peter, you guys, are you going to leave me too? He doesn't answer it then, but now, after all this time, he comes back and answers the question. So what does he say? You know, he, uh, you know, he tells us that his, uh, his, 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 his body is food indeed. You know, my blood is drink indeed. Who eats my body, who drinks my blood. So we celebrate the institution of the Lord's Supper. And look, at we read Paul's description. He said, for I received from the Lord, that's from the Lord Jesus, what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, we might misunderstand with the word remembrance, so Paul goes on to clarify what he means. Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? It says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So this is a special type of remembrance. He said, this is an actual participation. So how do we tie that with remembrance? Well, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the word remembrance has a very powerful meaning. God, for example, never forgets. But we often speak of God remembering. So what does that mean? It means that it's like when you call someone, you say, I, I was thinking of you. And suddenly, that's why you're on the phone right now. I was thinking of you. You're on the phone. When we say God remembered Noah, it means that now he's going to take action. God keeps his promise, and this is the moment. This is the moment of connection. The promise was made in the past, but the reality is in the present. That's what it means to remember. God remembered Noah. God remembered Sarah. God remembered the children of Israel. So it's not a matter of reminiscence. It's a matter of the truly live connection. This is the moment. This is when the phone rings. This is the moment we're saying it's an actual live connection that kind of remembrance. So the Last Supper is not a matter of remembering something that happened then and there, what happened with Jesus and the, and the apostles. It's actually about something that's happening here and now. Every time we celebrate Holy Communion. Remember, Paul was talking when he said, is this not a participation in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ? He was speaking about the weekly Eucharist. 
He was talking about the weekly Eucharist at Corinth. And he said, as often as you eat this... Uh, so it's a perpetual supper. It's not the last supper, it's a perpetual supper. It never stops. And he says, you know, um, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So our remembrance is not a matter of, like, looking in an album. You're remembering something. It's like hearing the phone ring, hearing a knock at the door. It's that kind of real, that we are directly connected, not as a reminiscence, an actual connection beyond time. So what does it mean to participate? Paul said, participate in the body and blood of Christ. Those are his exact words. Well, there's something very powerful of why people were so shocked. Remember, if you know, uh, with kosher, uh, kosher, uh, kosher foods and things, one of the classic things for kosher meat is you have to drain the blood. It's a central part of kosher meat. Properly draining the blood and salting. There can be no blood because the, the scriptures say, the life is in the blood. You cannot consume the life. The life belongs to God. You cannot consume the life. The life is in the blood. It's repeated twice in Torah. So think about this. Jesus says, to drink. This is my, drink this. This is my blood. He's saying it's an invitation to actually receive his very life. So rather than being a moment of silence for Jesus, he's saying, I want you to actually take in my very life, to participate in my very life. Uh, in John 60, it said, Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. True drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. The word abide, abides in me, and I in him. And think of this. Jesus is truly God, and he's truly man. Because he's truly God, in John's gospel, it's structured around seven statements of I am. Right? Seven, I am. I am is the name of God. So to participate in Jesus' life is to participate in the very life of God. It's a participation in the life of God. This, one of our early church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch, described Holy Communion as the medicine of immortality. So basically, with our mortality, even now, before the resurrection, we actually have sort of the treatment in Holy Communion. It's the medicine of immortality to treat our condition. So why is that so important in our spiritual lives? Well, the scriptures themselves, as well as the church fathers, emphasized that we have everything in the Hebrew scriptures is for us, is that we should understand what happens in the church as being, again, what happened to Israel. Again, it's a renewal of what happened to Israel. So what happened in the Exodus? That's why we're celebrating this as the Passover. Why are we celebrating this? And he says, what happens at the Passover? Of course, we know that the Passover lamb was slain. And thanks to its blood, that's how the children of Israel were freed. I mean, they were freed from death. They were saved from death, preserved from death. But that was just the beginning of the story. What the Passover lamb did had to be actualized. So they actually had to go. They would not, they had to be away from the Egyptians. They had to cross the waters of the Red Sea. Right? They had to cross, basically, from death to life there. The Passover lamb made that journey possible, but the journey had to be made. And they had to cross the Red Sea. And then something wonderful happened. 
is because when the Red Sea closed off, what happened to the Egyptians? They were drowned, and in fact, the bodies come up the next day, and there's an important part there. You see, any ancient person could tell you that the Red Sea isn't much of an obstacle in the long run. The Egyptians routinely went around it or used boats. You know, they were, you know, so basically, they would have just had the heads, day's head start. You know, if they had just the sea had closed and they'd gone back, they'd just go around. So this is a way of knowing that it was finality, it was closure. You will never again be slaves to Pharaoh because Pharaoh is no more. Okay, so we have that. And then they come out on the other side, but there we have something remarkable. What was the promise? Remember, it says to Joseph, when, he said, when I leave, take my bones with me. Where? God had promised a land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. They weren't in the promised land, right? They weren't in the promised land. I can't help but thinking, any of us who raised children, how soon after the Red Sea incident did some little kid grab, grab his, mother's, uh, his mother's skirt and say, are we there yet? <laughs> this isn't the promised land. This is a desert. And so it's not just an ordinary place. How are you going to get food and drink in a desert? It's the absolute opposite of life. And so what happens here is God feeds them with heavenly food, with the manna. He feeds them with the manna. You see, they'll only need it until they get to the land. Once they're in the land, they'll never need manna again. Actually, in the book of Joshua, the manna stops the very day that they eat in the land. So that's the story of Israel. How is that our story, as the Bible tells us? Well, Christ, of course, on the cross is our Passover lamb. But more than that, uh, that's why uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in baptism, the scriptures tell us, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, that we cross, the Red Sea is like our crossing through the waters of baptism. Once we're on the other side, no matter what, the fact is, sin will never have dominion over us. You know, we are no longer slaves, and we have been freed from the slavery of Satan. That has happened. But again, we're not in the promised land. The promised land is when we see God, we say in our beautiful Eucharistic prayer, face to face. You know, the, the beatific vision, the one thing that will make us truly happy. We will see God, we'll be in our resurrection bodies, free of sin and death. That is the promised land. But the point is, we're not there. So how are we going to be nourished between hither and yon? And that's why Jesus in, in John 6 says, you know, I'm the real bread from heaven. Eucharist is how we're basically, is the food for the journey. It's the food for the journey, what keeps us going between our freedom, our, our baptism, and our entry into the fullness of the promise. It's a foretaste of, of the land of eternal life. Now, I love this. The church compares, loves to compare Holy Communion to the experience of the prophet Elijah. And in the prophet Elijah, remember after the great contest that we had, you know, uh, uh, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? And what happens after that is uh, Jezebel is not a woman to be taken lightly. She doesn't give up. She says, I will have you yet. You know, enjoy it now because it's over tomorrow. So he goes and, he, and he's very discouraged. Very often happens after a great mountain moment, doesn't it, in our spiritual lives. He's very discouraged. And he wakes up and he finds there's a loaf and he finds a pitcher of water. He goes back to sleep and he wakes up again and the and an angel says to him, eat and drink. It says you have a long journey ahead of you. So actually, the words we have here, he says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
He's saying God is bringing you somewhere. He's going to bring him to the holy mountain. So here's what he says, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And I love this line. When I was a kid, uh, a church I dearly loved had this inscribed on their communion rail. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So that's our story. This is the food he provides to get us to the very mountain of God. Now, the, our connection with the body of Christ doesn't end with Holy Eucharist by any means. Paul tells us, he said, you know, because there's one bread, we who are many become one body. We all partake of the one bread. So we are part of the body of Christ. But some of us treat this like this is just sort of a figure of speech, an analogy. Well, let me give you background for our, our story from, from 1 Corinthians, the reading from 1 Corinthians tonight. We might misunderstand the story. Is the early Christian church, people had a potluck supper. That doesn't sound very religious, so they called it an agape meal. Okay, but uh, they had a potluck, okay, before, before that Eucharist. And what happened at this potluck, which really shocked Paul, is people had very different economic levels. And people were coming, and they wouldn't share. Some people came with great meals, and other people literally had nothing, and they just were sort of twiddle their fingers and they wait for things to start. And so Paul says he was shocked. He said, you call this the Lord's Supper. And when he says about not recognizing the body, he's saying, I don't get it. He said, folks, you can't recognize the body on the table and not recognize the body and the people around you. That's not possible. You don't get to choose which body I want. You know, I love this, but, oh, Christians. No, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, if we love one, we love the other. So that's the thing. There is one body, and we find that body at the table, and we find that body all around us in our congregation. So that is, uh, that is what he calls us to. And that's why the custom of foot washing, or we have this story tonight, is so beautiful. Because it's a reminder, even as we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, is do not forget why we kneel before every one of us is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, the image of Christ himself, that we honor Christ in every person in the congregation, that if we don't see him here, we cannot see him there. Again, the, uh, this can be helpful. The experience of the prophet Elijah is he was so discouraged. At one point he says, you know, I, I wish I were just dead. He said, well, they, they sound nicer in Hebrew. He says, I wish I was gathered to my fathers, which means I wish you were dead. Okay. Uh, Hebrew makes things sound so, so nice. Okay. But he, I wish you were dead. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm the only one left. And here's something beautiful. Well, God says, well, actually, that's not true. There are 7,000 people who have been faithful to me. So what happened? He just didn't see them. And that can be our problem. We can feel alone because we just don't see God's people because, frankly, we're not looking. So there's a huge lesson there saying, it's not, you're not the only one left. There are plenty of people out there. You know, they're out there. There's 7,000. So in conclusion, let's say that we say that we said at the beginning, relationship has to be nourished. There is no substitute. Think of any relationship for continued contact. Even your parents and your siblings, if you just never talk to them, never see them, it just becomes names. It's a relationship. It's like an org, org chart, a, a family org chart. Okay, it loses all life. There has to be continued co uh, co connection. It's the difference between a live friendship and a memory. The Last Supper, Jesus called us friends because he himself does everything we need to keep this alive. 
Holy Thursday reminds us how we stay connected to Jesus through his body, by participating at the table and also by seeing, actually seeing our brothers and sisters and joining with them together, that that communion brings us all together. So let's heed the warning that was given to the prophet Elijah. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And also let us lift up our eyes to see the body of Christ who's all around us in his church. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.